All right, so we're talking about Terah and how I believe he had the call of Abraham. It appears that he did, and he, because he is leaving his homeland. And it says, Terah lived 70 years, became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Now, these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. Haran is his firstborn. Uh, I believe is his firstborn. Uh, either way, Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his birth, and Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, so here his son died. And Abraham Nahor took wives for himself. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. And the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah, Sarah was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abraham his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and his son Abraham's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Interesting. For some reason, and the Scripture doesn't say, but it makes me speculate that Abraham's father left the land of the Chaldeans with his family prior to Abraham leaving. But it says that he went out and he died in a land that they called Haran, which was his son's name that died. And sometimes people have the call of God, but they never can move past the place of death in their life. They can never move past their personal loss. I've seen a lot of people get tripped up and never enter into the call of God because they can't get past the things that didn't happen. They lost. They lost a battle. Something happens, they, and, they, and, and they stay in this place of grief, and they allow their pain to dominate them to the point that the pain really becomes their God. Well, how do we know? Because if whatever you're living for is your God. Whatever you listen to, whatever you prefer, whatever you allow to control your life, that's your God. And there's lots of people that have experienced loss, and they just can't get past it. And there's a lot of people that don't walk in supernatural power because they can't get past the loss of when something didn't happen like they were believing for. Does that make sense? You have to be able, and Jim, I'm going to get you to speak sometime. You can really speak. Jim, Jim Cooper can speak to this better than anybody I know. But there are people who never overcome their own personal loss. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you're going to experience loss. If you're human, you're going to experience loss. We all are going to experience loss. But, the, but we have to learn how to move past Haran so that we can move forward to the city that God was trying to take Abraham. Terah couldn't do it, and I believe it's at that point that God called Abraham, and he said, leave your family, because they can't get past this. Leave them and go to the place that I'm taking you. They won't be able to get past this, but I got to have someone that's willing to move past their loss so that they can take them to the place that I'm going to show them. Does that make sense? And a lot of people were hindered in healing and the prophetic and all kinds of stuff. Prophetic words they felt like didn't come true, so they throw out the prophetic. Or healing that never happened, so they throw out healing. 
and they do all this stuff, and they, and they miss the fact that God has stuff for you, but sometimes you just got to go through some stuff. Does that make sense? So I'm saying that because I feel like the Lord wants to help us get past Heron today. Lots of you may be experiencing things. Listen, I'm right now in a fight for my own health, as many of you are. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to speak what this word says, and I'm going to stand on it, and you, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you. I'm Like last night in my bed, I'm wrestling. I'm speaking the word out loud. I'm fighting because I'm feeling things that are contradictory to what I know the word says. But I'm standing on what the word says. With faith and patience, you inherit the promises. That was free. That wasn't even in the notes. So the goal is to see Jesus. Paul was talking about that. He's, Jesus saw his father, and he did with his father. We need to see Jesus, and as we see Jesus, we'll be like Jesus. We become what we behold. That's, we understand that, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are changed by the glor- glory of God. From we see the glory of the Lord we are transformed into that same image according to 2 Corinthians 3.18. 1 John 3.2 talks about how when we behold him, we are transformed into that very image. And as we look upon him, that's, that's 1 John 3.2. By looking at him, we see him. And as we see him, we become like him. The way to become like Jesus is to see Jesus. You will become what you behold. That's why God told the nation of Israel, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that brazen, that bronze serpent on a, on a stick, on a cross, and I'm going to hold him up. And if you look to him, you'll be healed. When we behold the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the earth, beholding him, we are transformed into that very image. So the goal is to see him better. One way we see him better is through this word. You're not going to see him the way he is if, you're not, if you've got a Bible and you're not using it. You're just not. To him much been given, much will be required. Um, but our goal is to see him, and as we see Jesus as the healer, we will become healers. We've got to have revelation of it. When we see him as the healer, we become healers. Healing is, healing is the sign that the kingdom has come. How do we know that the kingdom of God has come? Well, let's look at some scriptures. Um, actually, I'm going to use my phone which is right here because it's easier to get back and forth, but it's unfortunately it's in the King James, so you'll have to bear with me as I read most of this in the King James for speed's sake, time's sake. Uh, Matthew four twenty three, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse disease and the torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic or epileptics and those that had palsy, and he healed them. Um, Jesus, when you, when you read the gospel, everywhere Jesus goes, he was performing healing. Everywhere. You don't see Jesus preaching usually without some type of miracle taking place. There are some cases where he did, but he was constantly healing. And as I'm going to point out in a minute, he constantly pointed to the miracles as the signs that God is sending. And that kind of goes against some people's thought process 
because we're taught not to look for signs, and I understand where some of that's coming from, but Jesus pointed to miracles as the signs that God sent him, and I'm going to show you the scripture in a minute. The other thing that's amazing, uh, when he sent the disciples out, let me go, actually, let me go over to Matthew 9. That was, that was Matthew 4, 23 and 24, and Matthew 9, 35... It's basically the same concept. Jesus went about all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Every time you see Jesus moving, he, he was constantly healing, driving demons out, and he constantly pointed to that, and that's what you want to see. Let's turn over to Matthew, and we'll go through a lot of scriptures. Matthew 10, um, verse 1. And when he called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manners of sickness and all manner of diseases. And then it lists all the names of the, the apostles or the, the disciples. Okay, now, when you go down a couple verses, he, he goes through their names, he goes through the 12, and then he starts giving them instructions in verse 5. He says, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into the city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick... Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out the devils. Freely you have received, freely give. When he sent them out to preach, he told them to declare that the kingdom of God is at hand, and then he said, heal the sick. Why did he do that? Everywhere he sent his very disciples, he told them to heal the sick. This was part of the mandate that God gave his disciples in preaching the gospel. They had to do this. It was the kingdom. You can't, you can't uh, I know Bill Johnson talks about how we have not represented the Lord well because we give a gospel without power, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit. And listen, I want to say this up front. I'm not walking in the power I want to walk in. I am not walking in the power that I want to walk in. I have prayed my whole life, Lord, deal with my character so I can handle your power. Okay, and I'm still praying that. I don't want more power than I have character to handle. I want character first. Power without character will kill you. But at the same time, we must understand that you cannot fully preach the gospel without having power. And you know, his disciples, he sent them out to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and and declare that the kingdom was here, and he hadn't even taught them how to pray yet. You can look at it. If you look at the order in which things happen, he was sent out with power before they even, even learned how to pray. Jesus had a confidence in the Holy Spirit to deal with our issues, okay? He didn't limit power based on maturity. Now, I want to grow in maturity because if you don't grow in maturity, the very power that God releases in your life can kill you. When the Holy Spirit comes and he starts pointing things out and you don't let him do his job, that very power that you're walking in, if you're not dealing with character, it'll become a stumbling block to you and it will hurt you. But we can't, for the sake of the people, we need power so that we can set people free from the, the, the enemy and the kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. We have to. 
Luke 9, 1 tells you the same thing. All right, turn over to Luke, Luke 5. Most of this stuff y'all have read a thousand times, I know, but I'm just saying it for, for foundation's sake. We're going to read 17 through 26, but specifically 23 and 24. This is imperative that we understand this because there is a, a group, there's a large portion of the church has relegated the gospel to just the forgiveness of sins. And that is not the full gospel. And I'm going to, at some point in this, I'm going to get there. The full gospel has to, has to be with power, or it's not the full gospel. I'm going to share some scripture on that in a minute. But some of the church has relegated the gospel to just, you know, salvation as being you're going to go to heaven when you die if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not the full gospel. If you even look up the word saved in the Greek, it means saved, healed, and delivered, and is used interchangeably. Okay, you can look, take an a Englishman's search, okay? An Englishman's concordant search. There's an app I have. What app is this? This is a great app. It's my sword Bible. It's an app I got. You can hit the search button on it, and you can punch in the Greek Strong's concordance word of that word. And if you punch in the word for saved into that search, you hit the search, and it does an Englishman search, which means basically every word that Greek word is used, it will pull it up. And when you read all those passages where it's pulled up, there's times that that word saved is translated healed. And there's times that that word is translated delivered or set free from a demon. That word is used interchangeably throughout the Gospels, throughout the New Testament, for healed, saved, and delivered, and it's all the same Greek word, but you wouldn't know that if you were just reading your English Bible. But when you go to look at it in the Greek, it shows you that this word is interchangeable. So when we're talking about salvation, salvation's encompassed, deliverance, salvation, healing to your whole man, your spirit, your soul, and your body. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, Luke 5, verse 17, And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that, they were fair, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I love that. There are meetings sometimes that you can go to where there's just a, there's just a sovereign move of God where he settles for a particular aspect of ministry. And there are times in certain meetings where the Lord just will come and hover for healing. Okay. There is, that is a true thing that sometimes that God sovereignly comes and people just start getting healed. The spirit of the Lord in this particular case was present to heal them. But the next part of the verse, verse 18, and behold, men brought into a man brought in a bed, a man which was taken from a palsy. You know, he was, he was lame, couldn't walk. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before Jesus or before him. And when they could not find a way that they might bring him in because of the multitude, they w- went upon the housetop and they let him down through the tilings with his couch into the mist before Jesus. I hate, I, I, this is difficult language. I, if you, I apologize. Um, and when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemes? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, 
What reason ye in your hearts? Why are you thinking this way in your hearts? But that you might know that the Son of Man has power upon the earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of, of the palsy, I say unto you, arise and take up your couch and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereupon he laid and departed into his own house and glorified God. So he got up healed. But the Jesus, notice what Jesus said, that you might know that I have power to forgive sins, take up your mat and walk. The first thing that we need to understand is that the gospel is not just about forgiveness of sins. He says how you might know that I have the authority to forgive your sins is because what's harder to do, to say your sins are forgiven or to heal the sick? And the church, we have gotten this thing in us that where we, you know, it's easy for us to believe that God can forgive your sins. Now, in the reality there's a lot of people struggling with really believing whether or not God forgives their sin, even those that profess that God forgives their sin, right? I mean, we're walking around with shame and condemnation over something the Bible says that is wiped away. You know, that's, that's, a, that's an issue of not believing in your heart, that God really has forgiven you. But we find it easy, especially among um, certain denominations and, and even in, in, in places that believe in the Spirit, there's a way that we find it easier. We, we have no doubt that God wants to forgive the sinner. But Jesus said, what's easier? To, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, take up your mat and walk? I'm going to tell you that it was much easier for Jesus to say, take up your mat and walk than it was to say your sins are forgiven. For him to say your sins are forgiven meant... He had to go to the cross and had to bear your sins. That was an incredible price that he paid. And the proof that he had authority to forgive their sins, he pointed them to the very thing. He says, so that you might know that your sins are forgiven, watch this. Get up and walk, and a miracle took place. And I'm going to say to you, and I'm about to back this up with a lot of scriptures, I'm going to say to you that if... The reality of the gospel is that if we say people's sins are forgiven and we don't show them their, their, their bodies are healed, we're not walking in what Jesus said. To know, you know, We want to grow in this. I'm not walking in what I want to, but I want to grow, and I'm not going to stop striking the ground until I get to where I see him. I see what he did. I want to go there. And so I'm going to keep going after it. Jump in any time that you... This is a fun scripture. Turn over to Romans. Now, what I'm trying to do is just lay a foundation for scriptural, a scriptural foundation for what we're going to really teach on next week, okay? We want to get into the practical, but I want us to, and most of us do, but I want us to understand that the scripture is very clear on these issues. There are lots of people that say God don't heal today, and that's crazy. That's not scriptural. They can't even give you a scripture. They point to one scripture that's totally misinterpreted. And that's in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. They says, when, when perfect has come, all this will be done away with. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Sensationalists believe that the, the, the gifts of the Spirit all died out with the apostles, which we don't believe. We know from Scripture the apostles haven't died out because in the Scriptures, in Ephesians 4, it says that he has given you some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, until we all attain to uh, the mature stature that belongs to the very fullness of Christ. 
is the church walking in the very fullness of Christ or where we have each at all attained to that? Well, then that scripture promises that he's given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers until all this happens. And if that hadn't happened yet, then we clearly know that we still have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It's just logic. The gifts of the Spirit can't have passed away with the apostles because the apostles are still here according to scripture. And they point that when that which was perfect comes, talking about they think the word is perfect, but it says knowledge will be done away with after that. If you read that in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, if you don't know what I'm talking about, read it later. 1 Corinthians 13, this is the only passage of scripture that I've heard a sensationalist teach on to try to say that the power of the Holy Spirit is done away with and we, we don't need it anymore. I say we need it more than we have ever needed it. If, the, if God started the church out with miracles, we know that he's going to finish with greater miracles because the scripture says he saved his best wine for last. Benjamin was the last son, right? And the last son was given five, when, when, when they all came before Joseph, remember in Egypt, he was given five times more than the rest of the brothers. And that's a picture of the last day church, the son of my right hand. And we're going to have five times more than the previous brothers before us, our generations before us, because we're going to need it. We're going to need it. But I can promise you we're going to go out with a bang. God's going to release some power and some signs and some wonders and some miracles. And he's, our, he's always done it, but it's going to intensify and increase. And we're right there at the door, guys. Jesus is coming. He really is coming, and the power is coming with it. And he wants us to grow up into this. Romans 15. All right, so in verse 17, Paul's talking about, he says, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. Verse 18, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Verse 19, In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Y'all catch that? I don't know if you saw it. Let me read it again. In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying, everywhere I went, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ because I have fully demonstrated the power of the Holy Spirit. To say I represent Jesus and not allow the power of the Holy Spirit to, to manifest itself is to re represent Jesus poorly because everywhere he went, he did signs and wonders. All right? So Paul was not going to speak about anything but what God had done from him. All right, let's turn over to John. This is John. We're going to stay in John for the rest of this for me. And then Paul can jump in whenever. John chapter 5. And I'm just going to read a number of scriptures that where Jesus kind of says the same thing, but I just want to hit it home that this was not a one and done type statement from Jesus. He kept saying this. And anytime... If Jesus says it once, that's enough. But when he keeps repeating himself, that should point to something. And what I'm trying to do is to set up a foundation that the gospel 
you can't separate the gospel from power, signs, and wonders because that's what is seen in the Scripture. You know, the Scripture says in Hebrews that in times past, God spoke through men of old and prophets and this and that, and then he gets on to say, but today God has spoke to us in his Son. And the Scripture says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if we see him doing this then, he does it forever. He's still doing this. All right, so this is uh, John chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 36. And really, 36 is the big one. Jesus is talking to him. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given to me to accomplish, these, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Do y'all hear that? It's the works that Jesus did that he said are the testimony that bear witness to the fact that God has sent him. So how do we know that God sent him? He did works that nobody else has done. Let's look at this. Uh, and, And it goes on down two more verses. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who he sent. I mean, you got people that were so hard of heart when Jesus came. He heals people on the Sabbath, and they want to accuse him of breaking the law. I mean, that is some kind of hard-heartedness. You just saw a man do something that you have never seen before in your lifetime. A miracle just got done, and the only thing you can do is find reason to accuse him. But Jesus said it's these works that testify. Turn over to John 6. Um, we'll start in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. All right, now turn over. We're going to go on to chapter 7 because he keeps kind of pointing to some stuff. Verse 31. Verse 31. Verse 31, John chapter 7, verse 31. But many of the crowd believed in him as they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? I just want to say, when we're talking about evangelizing people, you expect Muslims who grew up in Islam from the moment they're born, they're being taught something, and just because you come to them and say, hey, you need to believe in Jesus... You expect them just to stop what they're doing and just listen to what you said if there's not some type of reality to what you got? You gotta, we got to have a reality. To, now, don't misunderstand me. There are anointings that fall on people that their words carry such an anointing that it can break just the words can get them. I mean, I, I'm not trying to deny that. But we need p- power to reveal the risen Christ to the world when, when they, you can't expect people just to believe you because you say it. And, the, and Jesus even pointed to that when he said, the very works I do are the testimony that I really did come from God. I'm not telling you just to believe me. And if you read that passage in, in uh, John chapter 5, just read through John chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, and you'll see Jesus keep talking about this. And he says, don't just believe me because I say it. Believe because of the works that I do. These testify that God sent me. 
And I'm building up to something because I'll jump ahead and I'll give you a secret. Jesus said, even as I was sent, so I send you. And so if Jesus, the proof that Jesus was sent was the works that was being released, then how much more true for us who he has sent in his same way? Even as I was sent, so I send you. All right, let's look at John uh, 7.31. I'm going to read it. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, will he not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? These signs testified when all these people were speaking against him. They're like, yeah, but how can we, you know, how can we just look over the fact that this man's doing things that nobody else has done before? How can that, how can we do that? And for those people, they were like, we can't look over. This has got to be the Christ. All right, John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus asserts his deity. Um, he's having a conversation, a back and forth. It gets a little bit ugly with some of the Jews. And in verse 37, he says, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. If I don't do these miracles, don't believe me then. But if I do do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. You know, I'm just, just be real with you guys. I have been praying lately a lot about this because God will never send us without empowering us to do what he sent us to do. Jesus came and he did what no man had done before because he had a, a job that he had been anointed for by the, from by the Father to do things that no man had done before. And the works testify. I'm like Isaiah, you know, in chapter 6. It's like, he's like, who will go for us? And whom shall we send? And Isaiah's like, I'll go, I'll go, send me, Lord. I'm like, Lord, send me. But send me with your power and your authority to demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom like the book of Acts, like, like the disciples, like Jesus did. He has given us an example in this scripture, in the book of Acts, in, in the gospels, that when the gospel is preached, there are signs, wonders, and miracles that follow. Every time he sent the disciples out, both the 12 and the 70, he told them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and preach the gospel of the kingdom. All of that is required, according to Paul, and what we read in Romans, all of that is required to fully preach the gospel. Without that, you don't have a full gospel. All right, guys, so we do want to kind of wrap, wrap up probably around like 2.30-ish because um, we're throwing a lot of stuff at you, and, and we are definitely well aware that, you know, we have, there's only uh, so much that we can kind of, the capacity level is like, you know, we don't want to just keep throwing stuff at you if you're, if, uh, you're not able to retain it, if that makes sense. But I think... Um, Travis has done like a really good job establishing why we need we need to see healing. We we need to walk in healing, and um, and I think that's like um, 
I think that was well established uh, with, with Travis, all the scriptures that he was sharing. Um, and and I, I'd like to just kind of establish a couple things too. And the why, you know, well, why, why do you guys talk about healing so much? Why do we, well, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, because of Jesus, like it was a huge chunk of his ministry and it is exactly what Travis was saying that salvation, the word salvation, sozo, actually means to be healed, to be delivered, to be saved from your sin, but, you know, a full, complete saving of yourself. That's what was accomplished on the cross. And um, so right off the bat, why? Well, why is because we were commanded in Scripture to heal the sick. I mean, I'm going to make it real simple. We were commanded to heal the sick. Matthew 10, 7. I'm going to be repeating a lot of these scriptures, um, but it's all right because faith comes from hearing. This is Jesus saying, and as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven has come near, near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely you give. He's commanding you to preach the kingdom of heaven and to heal the sick. It's a command. I mean, what more do we need? Jesus told us to go do it. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. He's commanding us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation and that these signs will follow. Healing will follow. And here's James 5, 14, 16. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call the elders of the church and they will... And they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So is anyone sick? Pray for them to be healed. It's commandment. Take this as a, I mean, I'm going to keep it simple here. Why do we pray for the sick? Because he commands us to pray for the sick. Okay? And um, when Jesus came in, this is Matthew 8, 14. And when Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on them. Now when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were ill. This happened This happened so that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled. He himself took our illnesses and carried away our diseases. This is a very important scripture to understand here because this is one of the more more blatant times the Bible is interpreting the Bible for us because right off the bat Isaiah 53 you guys have heard it before about the suffering servant has been taken out of context context many times, especially because people are trying to line up their life's experience with, they're trying to make scripture to line up with their life's experience instead of the other way around. 
So when they don't see somebody healed, they're, they're saying, oh, Isaiah 53. I'm going to read it to you guys. However, it was our sickness that he himself bore and our pains that he carried, yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. So many times this scripture is taken out of context. I've actually had people come and say, why do you guys talk about healing so much? And I'll, I'll quote this scripture to them. They're like, that's not what that scripture means. I'm like, oh, really? Enlighten me what the scripture means. And they'll tell me that, oh, this is the spiritual healing of somebody when they were born again. And I'll just point to them to... Uh, and I'll, and I'll ask them, why, what is your basis of that? What is your scriptural basis that that is only talking about a spiritual healing? And they'll kind of him and, well, you know, well, it's, it's because that's, what, that's ultimately what is the most important, that people are saved and they go to heaven, right? It, yes, that is the most important thing. But it doesn't negate the fact that that's not exactly what he was saying. It encompasses it more. And, in, and it says that, in, you know, because... And Matthew eight fourteen that I just wrote that I just uh, uh, you know shared with you guys that he healed the sick all who were healed healed and this happened so that it was spo- what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled and then it points back to that scripture in Isaiah fifty three does that make sense so you've got the Bible interpreting the Bible you can't get more clear than that man I wish the Bible did that more with some scriptures that I've, I'm still chewing on. But this is part of our inheritance that what Jesus accomplished on the cross, what Isaiah 53 was pointing to the cross and Jesus' ministry, it encompassed healing, physical, emotional healing, and spiritual healing, all the above. It is available to us. We can stand on this. And that's why, that's why I'm sharing this with you guys because it is important that we stand on a foundation that is biblically solid so that when the enemy comes to you and you're praying for somebody practically, you're praying for somebody at Walmart for healing and you have this doubt come on you and you say, I don't care what your doubt says. I don't care what you say. The enemy is a punk. He's a liar. I care about what the word of God says and the word of God says that by his wounds we are healed and it is both spiritual and and physical, and emotional. Does that make sense? We stand on this, and we operate by faith what the truth of the, God's Word says. So this is huge. <laughs> yeah. When, you're, when, did you, when did your sins get forgiven? When did they get forgiven? When Jesus died, he bore our sins on the cross. When you believe it, you're now applying what was done 2,000 years ago to your life, and you're now entering into forgiveness that was purchased 2,000 years ago. Do you understand? Jesus didn't die again when you got born again. 
He didn't die again. He, he died 2,000 years ago. And because he died 2,000 years ago, when you get a revelation of that, you give your life to the Lord and you accept him as Lord and Savior, your sins are, you now enter into the forgiveness of sins because you've now applied what was done to your life. It is no difference with our faith for healing. Everything we need was accomplished at the cross and at the resurrection, but, the, but it does not help us if we don't begin to apply that to our life, just like we do forgiveness of sins. And how do you do it forgiveness of sins? You start believing it. When you start believing you're forgiven, you're entering into what was already accomplished for you. When you start believing that Jesus is the healer and he wants to use you to heal the sick, freely you have received, freely you give. You have to receive this from him as a free gift at the cross, and then you will begin to release that. I release forgiveness to others when I share the truth about the gospel. Well, I release because I've experienced the forgiveness of sin. So now I release healing to other people because I've experienced healing, and I want to release it. It's just like I said today, when we, if we abide in him and let his word abide in us, when it begins to get inside of us and it's no longer here, but it begins to become here in our heart, we will start walking in something because he said these signs will follow them that believe. There's a difference between believing in your mind and believing in your heart. And God wants to get us into a place where we believe in our heart that we have authority to heal sickness. I'm not there yet. I'm in process to where what th that which I believe in my mind is being transferred into my heart as I study the scriptures, as I pray, as I seek God, as I wrestle with him, like Jacob wrestled. I'm, there's something being deposited in me so that I can walk in a greater faith. But when you believe that you are who you, Jesus said you are, you will walk as Jesus said you will walk. We have to grow up into that revelation. And that's why we're doing this and we're emphasizing what the Bible clearly says because when we emphasize this, we put this at the forefront of our mind, it'll slowly begin to drip down into our heart. And after we go over it enough, one of these days, we're going to start believing we really are the children of God. And when we believe that we're the sons of God and the revelation comes, the uncovering of, of the, the children of God that the earth is longing and groaning for the revelations of the sons of God, it's not like they're just going to appear from heaven someday. It's gonna, the revelation is going to get a hold of us, and we're going to realize who we are, and then we're going to walk in the authority that God's called us to walk in, and we're going to set the whole earth free because it's already been done at the cross. He's not going to, when he said it was finished, it was finished. He is not going to do anything else to accomplish this work other than the revelation getting, blowing up in our mind and we begin to believe the reality of what was accomplished at the cross and we will, when we see it, we'll be, become like it. That's right. We're progressively coming to know what Jesus really did on the cross. You know, we will probably spend eternity getting to the bottom of what Jesus did on the cross and never get there. Yeah, because, uh, you know, and we talk about this in Ephesians 2, it talks about how we are progressively coming to understand by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's illuminating, giving us revelation, opening the eyes of our hearts to understand what 
the, the, the power and the authority that has been given to us by the accomplished work of the cross. We're getting to know this. We're progressively getting there. And um, so another reason, so that, that's the why. Why? Jesus, he commands us to go heal the sick. And number two, like we are, and, and Travis was talking about this, that we will fully represent him when we see people healed in the name of Jesus. Because we have to understand this, because I think a lot of times people are unable to receive healing from God because they don't know how good he really is. They don't really believe he is a good God and that he actually wants to heal us. We have to understand what does scripture say about the character of our father. Jesus was an exact, Colossians says he was an exact representation of the Father. Whatever he did, you can bank on that is exactly how the Father behaves, how he treats people, how he loves people, how he heals people, how he delivers people. The Father wants and desires and does the same thing. Jesus was an exact representation of who the Father is. So if you have a question on God's goodness, look at the perfect representation of who God is as Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He healed all the sick. Well, we just, we just read, you know, all who came to him, he healed. And then, you know, Travis says this a lot. The one that the Seraphonician woman that he kind of challenged and caused her faith. It was really a faith thing. He was causing her faith to rise up for her to be able to receive that healing. And he, even though he denied her healing, she still got healed, right? So that is who our Father in heaven is. He is a good Father. He is life. He is healing. That is his very nature. When he comes into the room, he brings life. He brings healing. He brings deliverance. That is who he is. You can't separate him from healing. It is his nature. Wherever he goes, he brings life. So when Jesus was walking in the crowd, you know, going to Jairus' daughter to, you know, to, to heal Jairus' daughter, and everybody's pushing on him, and then you had this lady with the issue of, the blo- of blood for 12 years who exhausted her finances, you know, and, and was completely, was actually in worse shape because of all the of, of pursuing uh, you know, healing through doctors. And all of a sudden, she touches the hem of his garment. You guys know the story. And power leaves him. The very essence of who Jesus is, is healing. It's life. It's really life. And encompassed in life is healing. Regeneration. Resurrection power. That's who he is. You can't separate the two. So, and I'm saying this to you guys, you guys know this already, most of you guys know this already, but we still struggle, I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord, will we still, the punk, the enemy, will still come to you and ask the question, is God really that good? He will challenge you, he will tempt you to believe that he's not. So you need to, and especially when you're praying for the sick and you're not seeing anything with your natural eyes taking place here, you need to still understand and believe what the Word of God says of who God really is 
because we don't base our faith on what we see. We base it on the word of God. So when we're challenged and we're praying for the sick and we're not really seeing anything happen, and the enemy comes to you and he's saying, saying nothing's happening. I don't, you're not feeling the anointing. That person, if anything, looks like they're getting worse. And, you're, and like you're being tempted to start doubting and to, to give up because you're, doing, you're beginning to do damage to the enemy's kingdom in that person's life that you're praying for. You're beginning to bring the kingdom of heaven to that person's life, and there's a clash going on, and, you, and you're coming to understand the authority that you have through the accomplished work of the cross and who you are as a son and daughter. The enemy is like, oh, no, he's, oh, no. It's like Neo in the Matrix, you know? It's like, oh, he's, really, he, he's beginning to believe who he is. Uh-oh. Remember the agents? I don't know if you guys watched The Matrix, but it has this, it's a very good parallel of like how these agents that were trying to keep people in oppression, and Neo was the Messiah, the, the chosen one, but he didn't believe it. And when he started to believe in it, the, it's like the agents, the enemy, was like, oh, no, here we go. And they were trying to stop him from believing who he really was. Well, the enemy's going to do the same thing to you. When you're praying for the sick, he's going to tell you, you don't have the power. Who do you think you are? What authority do you come to this person and try to bring healing? He's trying. He knows his days are numbered because the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you, he sees the Holy Spirit. So when you're praying for somebody and they're, they're oppressed by the enemy in sickness and they're bound by the enemy in sickness and you come with the power of the Holy Spirit living literally in your physical body, and you come up next to him, the enemy is shaking in his boots, and he will throw everything he has at you to try to trick you. He'll lie to you because he doesn't want you to believe what and who you are and what is living inside of you. The resurrected, the, the spirit that, ri- that rose Christ from the dead is living inside of you, and that resurrection power is literally, physically living inside of your physical body. That's what Scripture says. It is one with your spirit. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through the spirit which indwells you. So basically the very spirit that raised Jesus's lifeless body back to life, it says that if that spirit lives in you, and he says, he didn't say it might, he says that very spirit will give life to your mortal bodies through your spirit. Question is, are we living according to the spirit? Is the spirit dominating us or is something else dominating us? Does the flesh, does doubt, does all this stuff get in the way? That's why it's so important to plug in every day. If you don't plug in, you're not going to have faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you don't plug in, you're not going to be able to have that spirit man that's, that's driving the car. You know, your flesh and your soul is constantly fighting the spirit on who's going to drive your life, who's in charge, who's steering the wheel. And when we plug in every day, it helps pull the weeds out of our garden. It helps put the doubt down. It helps get all the junk out because we need that every day. We're just like a garden. Our heart's a garden. Our heart is the Garden of Eden, if you will. And every day there's weeds of doubt that are constantly growing. I've been preaching this stuff almost my whole adult life. And I still have to continually weed out little thoughts that come here and there that want to rob the reality of what I just quoted. 
But if we will give ourselves to this and we begin to pl- pluck out them weeds every day by spending with my Father, then I find that as more and more as I feed the Spirit, the flesh dies. You feed the Spirit, the flesh dies. One of them is going to rule you, and it's dependent upon who you feed the most. It really is. So we have to feed the spirit man so that faith man rises up because God's not going to do this for us. He said it's finished. He releases the manna. We have to go gather it. He's done this. It is finished. The authority's been released. It's here. The question is, are we going to pick it up and walk in it? God's not going to do something for you when he's already done it. It's already been done. It's just a matter of us beginning to believe it and walk in it. Does that make sense? This is simple. It's not easy. It's simple. It's not easy. This is, a, this is a lifelong dedication to pick up your cross and follow Jesus and plug in with him every day so that we can walk in the newness of life that he wants us to walk in. If we will give ourselves to the Spirit, then the Spirit that dwells in us will that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through his spirit. But that's a fight every day when that temptation comes and says you're not healed, like I was dealing with last night, that I was dealing with this morning because I felt pain. I have a temptation to, to either agree with that pain or agree with what the word says. And I hate to say it like that, but that's where my mind's at. I, don't, I personally believe that that's a choice who I'm going to believe. The scriptures points this out. It says talking about Abraham in Romans, I believe it's four or Romans five, where it's talking about Abraham. And it said, though his body was weak, being near a hundred years old, he considered not his own body, but regarded the promise. There are times even, and when we're trying to gain healing for us physically, and I'm do, I've done this, and I've fought through this and gained some victories, and I'm still in another fight gaining more victories, that I have to consider not what my body's telling me, but I have to regard the promise as true. And when I do that, with faith and patience, you inherit the promises. When I say, no, I don't believe what you're telling me, body. I believe what the Word of God says. There will come a day where the manifestation of that happens fully. It's like Jesus when he cursed the fig tree and they went away at night. They didn't see anything. They come back the next morning and the disciple says, look, Lord, the fig tree you cursed is withered from its roots. As soon as he cursed it, it began to be withered. But you didn't, they didn't see the results because it started from the inside out. And a lot of, way, a lot of times that's the way healing starts. I've prayed for people before, laid hands on them, prayed for them, and didn't see a thing happen. And then a day later, they come to me and said, you know, I woke up healed today. My niece, Jessie, who's secretary here, she can tell you about it. She had knee problems that had her sit out of a, of a camp that she was in that involved running. She couldn't do it because it was her knees were killing her. I prayed for her. Nothing happened. The next day, she woke up healed and was running with the, the, doing the boot camp with them the next day. I've had other situations like that where I've prayed for people and didn't see it happen right away, but it ended up manifesting later. We walk by faith, not by sight. I'm going to do what he commanded me to do and let the results be in his hands, but the the obedience is in my hands. Yeah, so we need to establish this truth of what the Word of God says against what our natural eyes say and what our natural senses can see and perceive because the word of God always trumps 
that, you know? And so establishing the idea that God is a good God, a good father, that he is a healer, that it is his very essence of his presence, is life and healing. The river of God, right? You know, in Revelation, what, what happened wherever that river went? What? It li- it, everything lived, right? Everything started growing and, you know... Yeah, the river. Yeah, the the temp, the river that came from the temple in Ezekiel, it brought life wherever it went. That is the very essence of who God is. Is that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit? It's life. It's power, but it really is life. So we need to understand and believe that our Father is a good Father, and it is His desire to heal. And I just want to, uh, I know we, I know we said we we're going to wrap up <laughs> at two 30, but if you guys have one more minute, Oh yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, right off the bat, the Lord's been speaking to me about his, uh, specifically uh, Exodus 15 and 16, the past couple of weeks is pretty cool. Uh, Travis was talking on that today. But uh, specifically in 15, you know the story about uh, they, were, they were thirsty, right? And they came up to the bitter waters of Marah. And, uh, and the Lord told uh, Moses to throw in that, the, the cross, basically, the tree into the, the river to make the water sweet. So they could drink it, but later on in that scripture it says specifically, um, "If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight and listen to His commands and keep all of His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your am your healer." And that and it literally in the Hebrew, it's his name, Jehovah Rapha. You guys have probably heard this before, but it is there's a reason why we kind of like we talk about the names of God. You know, names were a lot more important, honestly, to this culture, to the to the the Jewish culture back then, the Hebrew culture back then, or really even history back then, a name meant a lot more than it did today. And I don't think we totally understand that, but there was a, but basically he was declaring himself to the children of Israel, I am Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord, I am your healer. And he was basically showing that he, and he did this multiple times. You guys know there's multiple Jehovah Jireh's all there's many times where he declared himself a name of for himself because it is part of his character and you can't separate it from him. So if he is the Lord, the God that heals us, he's our healer. It is in his nature. It is who he is. We need to believe this. Okay. And then we talk about his will is it his will to heal. And you guys, we've talked about this multiple times, but I'm going to go through it. Matthew 8. Uh, one through three, you guys, um, this story here, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, if you are willing, if it is your will, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed, and immediately the leprosy uh, his leprosy was cleansed. Remember, Jesus is a perfect and exact representation of God the Father. 
if it is your will, you will make you can make me clean. I it is he's basically saying it is my will. In this scripture here and in multiple scriptures. This is who God is. He is a good father. It is his will that we would be made whole, that we would be healed, that we would be saved, that we would be delivered. And I know I'm just, I'm, we're just like hammering this in, but you, we've got to take hold of this because this is how we are going to minister. We're going to minister from this place and we're going to see results because that's why we're doing this, right? We want to see this stuff happen. We're going to see results if we minister from this place. There have been many times where I pray for the, for the sick and God is, I've seen God heal people and there was a battle going on in my mind of like, God, is this really your will? The enemy will start throwing stuff. Is it, 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 maybe they're supposed to kind of deal with this for a while. You know, all this kind of craziness that the enemy will come to you to try to get you off course from what the truth and what the word of God says, that he is a good God, that it is his will to heal that Jesus is an exact representation of the Father, and he told us as he was sent, so he sends us to go heal the sick. He commands us to do it. Does that make sense? I remember one time I was in the mall, and I might have shared this story uh, to you guys. There's there like the little cell phone kiosk. My friend and I were just in the mall, and uh, he was like looking at new cell phones or something, and all of a sudden I start feeling pain in my knee, and I knew just, you know, from walking with the Lord and just kind of like this had happened before that like the Holy Spirit sometimes will cause pain in my body to, to get my attention as something that he's doing and he wants to do in somebody's life. And so I kind of just stepped out there. I was like, hey, man, how's it going? You got something going on with your knee, whatever. But I couldn't see, you know, he was like standing behind the key. I said, he's like, well, yeah, man, I can't, I can, I can't run anymore because uh, I got in a uh, accident. Uh, I was a, you know, star baseball player uh, back in the day, and some guy, uh, I, I was second baseman, and then some guy slid right into my knee with his cleats, and I had surgery, and also it screwed up his knee. I was like, okay, okay, well, I think God wants to heal your knee. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you know, he's kind of like, sure, whatever, man. Uh, and... Uh, and I was like, you know, can me and my friend pray for your knee? And he's like, yeah, sure. So, uh, so we're like, hey, can we put our hands on your knee? And God was like, yeah, sure, okay. You know? And so we laid our hands on our knee, and, we, and I began to pray. I just began to declare healing over his knee. And I tell you what, the, uh, the barrage of the enemy that I heard while I was praying for that guy's knee. I mean, you can imagine. You guys probably have experienced it yourself. What are you, th- what are you doing? Everybody's looking at you. You're in the mall. You know, all this stuff. Who do you think you are? That's like probably the number one question he asked me. Who do you think you are? And I, you know, I tell him, I am a son of the Most High. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And I'm releasing that Holy Spirit and that healing power into his knee in Jesus' name. Now, nothing happened. I was like, hey, man, how's your knee? Check it out. He's like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I, I can't really tell. I mean, I'm, I'm at work. I mean, I can't really run around. I was like, okay, well, we're going to come back tomorrow, and we're going to check it out. So uh, me and my friend, we sure enough, we went to the mall the next day. Saw the guy sitting, you know, standing in the kiosk. We're like, hey, man, what's going on? How's your knee? He's like, man, you will not believe this. I woke up this morning, and I went running for the first time since I had that accident. 
we, I was blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome, man. And I just tried, I shared the gospel with them and, you know, it was awesome. But I didn't see anything happen and I didn't necessarily even feel anything when I was laying my hands on his knee to, you know, bring healing. And, um, but I, and, and we're going to go through this more next week because we really want to get into the practicality of actually how do you pray for somebody, what is actually what happens, things and all this kind of stuff. But we wanted to establish this foundation of why we pray for the sick and why we can believe that we will see the sick healed. Because when we see, when God heals somebody through you and I, we're releasing the, the kingdom of God in that person's life and it interrupts their life in a good way. They are challenged and faced with the reality of Jesus Christ, that he's real, he's alive, and that he loves this person and wants them to be reconciled to them. That's ultimately why we're doing this. We're not doing this to kind of wow our friends and to come to church and give us, you know, these cool testimonies. Hey, look at me. I'm so spiritual. I pray for something. You know, who cares about that? Who cares? We're doing this because eternity is changing in these people's lives. That's why we're doing this. And it is fun. <laughs> I mean, I was on cloud nine. I was like, man, who should we pray for next? Come on. You know, when you see somebody, like, get healed, I mean, it's amazing, you know? And, like, feeding yeah, I was feeding myself. That's right. I, I, was, I had food that I, you did not know what. No. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah. But, uh, it, but ultimately, that's what we are all called to walk in this thing. And I'm going to be real and practical with you guys and be honest with you guys because I pray for people and then they'd, I pray for people and they had actually died. You know? But I pray for people and I've seen them touched and healed by the power of God and it's all worth it. The times that I don't see God necessarily it manifests in the natural, the times I do see it happen in the natural, it's all worth it. All worth it. So that's why we're pursuing this thing, and we're going to progressively get to know our authority, and we're going to walk in this more and more as we are faithful, and we trust God, and we believe, because then it will be a credit to us as righteousness. God's going to give us more as we kind of keep stepping out, just like John Wimber. He prayed for a 1,000 people, and this is to encourage you, 1,000 people. I mean, every time I hear that story, it encourages me. Man, John Wimber, I mean, he was, he, they were seeing cancer. They were seeing everything getting healed in, the, in this, his ministry. I mean, documented over and over again. You know, science, I mean, you know, medically documented over and over again. And he started out praying for people, seeing nothing happen. A thousand people is a lot of people, if you think about it. <laughs> Man, I have you think you'd give up after like, you know, 20. <laughs> But I think we're, we're walking in his wake, or actually we're kind of like, we're kind of coming upside. He, he kind of was a pioneer, and we're kind of just benefiting from what he established.